Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. That's Marketing Baby is brought to you by Aircule. Aircule is an agency that helps small content teams get control of their SEO, analytics, and content strategy. Susan and I have both worked with the Aircule team. They're amazing. They're super smart, and their free app, Atimo, tells you what content is performing, what isn't, and what to work on next. My favorite feature are knowing what pages are my wallflowers. These are pages with good engagement that aren't getting much traffic. Then I can figure out what to do next. Check it out at Ottimo.cool. That's O-T-T-I-M-O dot C-O-O-L. And now on to the show. Welcome, everybody. It is episode nine of That's Marketing Baby. And today we are actually doing a topic that was suggested to us. So I am here with my amazing co-host, Jess Cook. Hello. We're hey, hello to everybody. <laughs> no, I know. We're almost there. But we had kind of crowdsourced some topics for my solo episode. And one came in that Jess was like, don't you dare do that one without me. (laughs) So I had to reserve it for when we were back together. So today we are going to be talking about the suggestion was marketing red flags and how that kind of translated to Jess and I was what are like the three, four, five things that will just sabotage any good marketing strategy. So it doesn't matter how great your strategy is. If you encounter any of these four things when you're trying to do it, you're going to be struggling. <laughs> it's going to yeah, be tough. It's going to be a problem. Yep. So this was actually pretty fun to talk about. And I think that most of you will be able to relate. 100%. Yeah. So we have four of these for you. And the first one, we're just going to jump right in here. The first one is not having the necessary tracking in place. Based on your goals. Susan, I would love to hear from the media person, the person that has to repine with this. So I think it's usually a symptom of having a bunch of different things that do different functions and then mashing them together. And that ends up being your marketing stack. So like you might be using HubSpot or Salesforce or Webflow, and each of those might have different parts. And I get why it happens because the struggle is each of those platforms usually does a different thing really well. You know, like most of them don't do all of the things really great. But the problem is these things will exist separately. So like an example is maybe you use MailChimp or, you know, if you're e-com, you're using Klaviyo or Omnisend or something. You might have email kind of living over there. But then if you have a sales team, they're doing all of their stuff in Salesforce and HubSpot. So these two things don't directly talk to one another. So as you start going through the sales process and you're seeing, you know, demos get booked, it's really hard to go back and understand what the history of this person was before they showed up in the sales world, right? It's kind of like, did they opt in for something? Did they attend a webinar? Have they been to our site? Have they consumed content? Are they on our email list? None of that is automatically able to be seen. And so especially from a data measurement perspective, this makes it so hard with marketing strategy because then you look at it and you don't really know 
what is and isn't working very well. You know, it's like you, you kind of might look at what's measured in platform, but you know, some of these sales cycles are really long. So that it's not going to be captured in there. So without tying that stuff together, either through, you know, data visualization and pulling all the stuff in through APIs or consistently like saying, okay, we're going to use HubSpot for all of that stuff. It makes it so difficult to be able to paint a picture. And yeah. There are so many times where I have an engagement where it's like, this is our metric of success. This is the thing we want to drive to. And when I look at all the pieces that play a part in getting to that goal and they aren't aligned, it's like I can make whatever strategy I want, but then we're measuring it on 18 different islands and we're trying to stitch this data together. And it makes it impossible to be able to deliver really good insights, right? So it's like, even if you hit goal and that's great, they're going to be like, well, what's working so we can scale it? And you're looking at it going, not really sure. Like I know over here, like email's doing this, you know, this thing's doing that, but it's kind of, it's just very hard to see all of that together to figure out how it's ultimately all working together. And then if you back off of one or do one other tactic more, does that change anything? You don't get any of that visibility when you have it spread across a whole bunch of different platforms. So I think the measurement thing can be, you know, a big part of why things don't work or can't scale. And even tied to that, sometimes it's just measuring the wrong things. I mean, I've definitely encountered areas where they are measuring every piece of data on the planet. And like 90% of it doesn't matter. I'm like, 90% of this is stuff you can't control. So it's going to do what it's going to do. So keeping an eye on that really is just all it's doing is making it more confusing and you're just paralyzing yourself. So that's that's my stance on the tracking. <laughs> what do you think is the solution here? Because like, look, attribution is really hard. And yes. the reality is like a lot of companies are just going to, you know, maybe aren't going to put everything into HubSpot. That's a big lift too, right? Or they're not yep. going to, they're still going to have kind of these disparate tools. So like, yep. what is the, how can you overcome that hurdle, I guess? Like, yeah. if that's not going to be able to shift a whole lot. Like, how can you educate or advocate for the thing that will help you succeed? That's a good question. Usually it winds up being some kind of custom report. And, you know, ideally we don't want to be plugging things into spreadsheets, but like when you and I worked together, that's kind of what we had to do. Right. And it got the job done. And it was like, once we got it down to a science, it actually didn't take that long. You know? So it's like, if you can figure out what's one way to just be able to pull the most needed data. So you're not spending a lot of time trying to do that. And even if it's something as simple as a Google sheet, just to plug in so that you have kind of your finger on the pulse of how the whole machine is going, I would say to do that. I think if you can find a great data visualization person that can build that for you, that's even better. You know, it, it saves time on the back end where it's like it just re- it populates itself. You can make really helpful visualizations that'll tell you far more than just a spreadsheet would. So usually what I will do is, you know, recommend if they can't consolidate, which I get. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I'll try and provide like, okay, well, here are the metrics you need to pull from each of these and put them all in one central location so that you're seeing this data side by side. That's great. I love that. Yeah. And you're right. Like that, once we figured that out, like it is a little bit more manual, but that's just kind of the reality some places, especially at startups where it's like, yeah, you have certain funding and it's like, this is the tool set we have right now. It's not to say it won't change down the road, yep. but like right now, this is what we have to work with and you just have to kind of make do. So yep. that's good to hear that it's possible. And I think the thing is too, it's like the whole goal of it at first is just to help you set a baseline, you know, just understand like where you're starting from and it doesn't have to be beautiful and it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's like, you need to have at least some data in front of you that says, okay, this is where we're starting from. So as you start to implement any other kind of strategy, you understand what has changed. You can see which of those metrics you, you can control have actually changed. For sure. All right. Number two, 
This yes, one, uh, this one's a good one. I think we're both going to have a, <laughs> <laughs> some hot takes here. <laughs> Discomfort committing to a target audience. Yeah. I want to hear this from you first because this is so, I feel like this is such a problem with content, especially in B2B. It just gets so watered down. I really feel like D2C and e-com has gotten a lot better about this. They've really mm-hmm. recognized and they've gotten really good about understanding their targets. And this kind of touches on your solo episode where you talked about it, but it's like they've gotten really good about understanding who their users are. I feel like B2B is so far behind on so much of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think the problem here is that a lot of B2B brands are like, we're, we're for everyone or we're for like 17 people type people, right? So not everyone, but like a lot of people. And I think it comes from like this fear of we don't want to miss any opportunity. Yeah. But I think where the power comes in when you can, you know, if you look around and you look at the places creating the best content and just killing it Mm -hmm. in like the B2B, like scaling and growth game is they know the one person, the one persona, the one target that they are most likely to win with. And they're going after that persona hard. Mm -hmm. And I think what that does is it allows their marketing team to get into the headspace of that one target so well Mm -hmm. that like the content just always resonates consistently, right? And so they are drawing people in left and right because they have just laser focused on that one target. When you try to focus on too many targets, it reflects in everything you do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually really talk to any one person ever. And so no one feels like, oh, this is for me. Yeah. They're not sure who it's for because the brand is not sure who it's for. Yeah. And so that is from a content and creative and brand perspective, it gets really difficult to carve out space in people's hearts and minds. I think the other danger places run into when they do that is when like, we don't want to miss any opportunity. But then they get a lot of disparate opportunities that have different needs from the product. Yes. So especially at startups, it's like now all of a sudden you're like, well, we were going down this road because, you know, we know that, you know, five of our customers have asked for this thing, but now we have this new customer and they want this whole other thing that we wasn't even on the roadmap, but maybe it should be. So I, I feel like it can easily become a distraction where you're kind of trying to let the market forces decide what your product needs to be. And that's okay to a point, but it has to be coming from your intended customer. Otherwise, you're going to have 10 completely unrelated business types with totally different needs, all raising their hands saying, oh, you should have this feature. Oh, you should have this feature. And then you're running in 50 directions. And then your product starts to have the problem that your advertising does where it's like, who is this product for? I don't understand. Like, Who's going to use this? It feels like it was made for 50 different kinds of companies. And no company wants to learn that, right? It's like they want it to be intuitive. They want to be able to use a software to solve their problems. And they don't want to have to, you know, feel like they have a second job doing it. So I feel like that's the other unintended kind of down path danger of the we have to get customers. Yes, obviously, you need the money, but you just got to be careful what it's going to fund because (laughs) once you have that money, it's like, are you just (laughs) doing it to pay for a larger engineering team that's building stuff that's only ever going to be used by two clients? And then later you realize, hey, we don't want that type of client anyway. Now you've wasted all this time and money building this thing that it's just a feature you're going to get rid of anyway. Yeah, 100%. And this isn't to say like, for instance, Lasso, our product serves 
many personas, but our marketing goes after one. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge distinction. And that's hard for people to realize sometimes. Like that that took me a minute to understand earlier on in like my time in SaaS was like, oh, who we market is not necessarily always, you know, eight or 10 people that use this product. Right. So that's a very different thing. And and that's okay if you have multiple types of people using the product. It's who are you going to go after that is going to be most likely to close so that you can get your product to all of the people that need it. Yeah, that's a great distinction. For sure. All right. I mean, for sure. Thank you. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Jeff said it, so obviously. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, all right. We've got two more. Okay. The third one, I feel like most people have experienced this, and I love that we're going to talk about it. Shiny object syndrome. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you go. You sound like you have some agony over It's this. been, well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's been everywhere, like regardless of industry. I think it's so hard because marketing and especially ad tech itself has evolved so rapidly. Like it's so crazy. It was so funny the other day on Twitter, someone posted a throwback screenshot of like what Google ads looked like in 2007 when it was still like all boxy and green. And it's like, you forget how much has changed just in the time that we've been doing this, you know? And so I think it's a symptom of a fast changing industry that there's always new stuff and there's always new social platforms and always new ways of doing creative. Yep. It's been kind of interesting because with the privacy stuff, like that's taken away a lot of the shiny object stuff with audiences. So mm. all of this stuff that you know used to be able to do on Facebook, you really can't anymore. So a lot of the shiny object stuff has pivoted more towards attribution tools. Like it's pivot a lot more towards external tech as opposed to things happening on the platforms themselves. But I really think it's a symptom of that because we're just barraged every day with headlines of like, here's TikTok's growth and reels on Instagram are growing like this. And, you know, so it's like this constant bombardment of all these different marketing tactics that I think everyone feels like they have to try. And, you know, it's it's overwhelming. And so I think it's wanting to try because there's also still, I feel like, especially at the executive level, I, I really encounter this a lot. There's still this belief that I don't, I don't know that they would admit it, but when you start peeling back the onion, they still think there's a silver bullet. Oh, 100%. Yeah, they still think that there's like this one marketing silver bullet, you know, that it's like, it's going to be their- and maybe this new thing is it. It's going to be their MasterCard, you know, commercial, right? It's like, that's going to be their, you know, the, their famous thing. And it's like, that's so rare. And those types of messages are only known because they are repeated a bazillion times. Right. It's and they, they were consistent. So that's what's kind of funny is like I, you know, there's that's there's some saying about how every overnight success took 10 years or something. Yes. You know? So it's like I think that it's really easy for people to forget that if you see something or you're reading about something working really well, sometimes there are just anomalies where that happens and those are always gonna be the ones that are talked about because they're interesting. Or something's working really well because people were consistent with it and they didn't stop. You know, they didn't flit from one thing to another. They didn't have shiny object syndrome. So yeah. it's rampant though. I mean, it's, and it's tough. It's, it's tough on marketers because, you know, we're still trying to convince people to stay the course, but it's difficult because there's just every day there's articles and there's consultants and there's agencies and it's this constant flow of information about what you quote unquote should be doing. Yeah. I think the way to to combat this a little bit is be really clear about one, we just talked about this, your target audience. Yeah. That will help you understand the channels that they are 
regularly in and the types of content that they regularly consume, right? Mm -hmm. And then you need to use that information to decide if this new thing, this new channel, this new way of, you know, promoting something, whatever makes sense against your current strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of a sudden this TikTok boom, it's huge. And like, oh my gosh, we're making so much, we're printing money on TikTok, (laughs) right? And everyone's like freaking out about it. And it's like, yes, but your audience is there, right? Yeah. Like, yep. Not everyone's audience is there. And so I think you have to weigh that against what you know about your target and then make decisions from there. So I think, you know, to offer up someone who is experiencing this, you know, just some valid advice on like, what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, go back to the strategy. If that new shiny thing makes sense, cool, try it, test yeah. it, right? Don't go all in test it out, see what happens. And maybe it doesn't make sense. You know, that's, I think, something that you kind of had to determine based on the strategy. I think another, like there's, there's another avenue to this shiny object syndrome, not necessarily a channel or like a new format of content, but just marketing tools in general. So cat GPT, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's here. We have to use it. Like now that's how we're going to write all our blog posts, right? Like, well, okay, wait a second though. Like, Have you seen what it puts out? Like, (laughs) that's not going to work, right? So it's that's kind of like the other side of the coin is there's these shiny new objects of like, ooh, that's another way we can reach people. There's also shiny objects of like, ooh, that's another way we can scale or work more efficiently. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you have to build a process around that. You have to understand how you're just going to use that tool to help you and probably not do like replace like a human's, you know, intuition, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that's also sort of an interesting dichotomy there too is with the shiny object thing it's like if you're going to decide to do these things what are you going to stop doing in order to do it yes so having managed a lot of teams of people i think that's one of the things that the shiny object syndrome really where it really starts to take a, a human capital toll is just that you feel like you're constantly reacting and constantly spinning you know yeah. what i mean it's like you just feel like you're constantly reacting to the next thing that you're being told to do or test and i think it's really important especially at a leadership level, if you're going to make these things be, you know, requirements that are tested, you need to think through what it means that you're going to stop because you yeah. have to think of that for your people. And a lot of a lot of leaders, like, they don't do that. You know, they're just kind of like, oh, we're, we're going to do this too. It's like, you know, I'm a big fan of like every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You just 100%. might not know it. You just might not know what that thing is yet. You know, yeah. it's like there. You just so if you can think through that, I think that's the other the other way to help. If you know that you have that tendency as a leader. Or if that's just the company culture is that you guys just, you know, test a lot of stuff. Just think through what you'd be willing to stop. And if you can't think of anything, then maybe you really don't need to be doing it. Yeah. 100%. So that's how I measure that. That's my, that's my little, that's my leadership soapbox for the day. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> I just care about the teams I worked with and I don't like to see them get burned out. So yeah, for that's sure. My advice. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Number four, last one. Yeah. Impatience. Oh, God. <laughs> This is my favorite. <laughs> I think this was actually my most viewed and interacted LinkedIn post had to do with this. Oh, okay. Tell yeah. me. Yeah. It was, and it was from like November of last year, I think. And it was, I don't know why, for whatever reason, it took off. I don't know. Had a bazillion impressions because everyone's experienced it. Yeah. I think <laughs> because so. it's relatable. It's so relatable. And this is a little, this is different than shiny object syndrome. Like shiny object syndrome, it can be a form of impatience. I really think it's more about like, just getting overwhelmed with the options and feeling like you have to do all the things. The impatience in this instance, there's this, 
I feel like there's this thing that happens where like you'll sit with certain companies and say, how long is your sales cycle? And they'll say four months. And then you put up a marketing strategy and they're like, so this will start working in 30 days, right? And I'm like, did we not establish? <laughs> so there's this odd thing that happens. I need to come up with a name for it. Like this yeah. needs name. You're the content person. So I'll put that on you. Okay, but, I'm, I'm a Tulu list. Exactly. It's like this blind spot where it's like all everything they know about the length of time it takes to acquire a customer completely flies out the window in the face of, oh, you're spending media money, so it's going to happen faster. Right. I don't know where this comes from. I think it's just the, like, there's there's still emotion tied to money. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. this emotion of like, we're putting money out there, so we should be getting reciprocity very quickly. And that's a human construct. Like, it's yeah. not how media works generally, especially, I mean, maybe in e-com and things that are a little, you know, shorter sales cycle. Yes. But, you know, $5,000 a month software, not so much. People don't just smash that buy button. You know right. So it's like, it's just interesting how, you know, they'll know logically that these things take time. The second you start spending media money within two weeks, it's like, what have we gotten? What have we gotten? What have we gotten? And it's just right. like, you'll start to get stuff, but also marketing is compounding interest, right? Yes, so it's like, yeah, yeah. So it's like what you're getting today isn't going to be getting what you get isn't three to four months from now, right? It's like the, these are the beginning stages and you have Planting to build- Planting a seed. Yes. You have to build up momentum and eventually this stuff just starts working on itself. And yeah. you and I were talking about this before, but usually you can tell when it just starts to work because you just start getting- like MQLs and you'd really don't know where they came from. You know, like yeah. you can kind of go back into the history and be like, oh, wow, they signed up. And you and I did this several times where we're like, yeah. oh, wow, that's a huge company. How they find us? We're like, oh, they signed up for the email list four months ago and they've yes. opened every single one of them. You know, it's like then you can kind of go back and piece together. But sometimes it just comes from direct. And then, you know, sales will get on and say, how'd you hear about us? And they're like, oh, I listened to the podcast or I met so-and-so at a networking thing. Or, you know, it's like it just builds on itself. So you'll yeah. start. It's, you know, I my joke was always I prefer that you get leads that you can't attribute because it means you're doing something right out in the marketplace. Right. You yeah. know, it's like all the other you're stuff everywhere. you're doing, you're everywhere yeah. and it's working. So it's like, I feel like there's such a, you know, we have to be able to figure out attribution, but it's almost better when you get to the point where you can't because you're, you're just, you're doing all the things right, you know, but yeah. that never happens if you're impatient. It never happens. I mean, it's like two weeks in, oh, we're not getting anything, we should stop doing that. So yeah. now at this point, you've got nothing for it. You didn't build up any momentum. You spent money that isn't going to get you anything because you never gave it time. And you're writing off all of the tactics that you just launched, which may have worked fine, but like you're measuring it the wrong way. You know, it's like you're getting impatient because you're measuring everything by the bottom line and you're not giving it the time it needs to mature. Yeah, 100%. I think too, you know, when it comes to content, it works when you're not right? Yes. And so those are the kinds of things you have to, when you're selling in, maybe in an organization that requires this kind of education, right? Where it's like, hey, listen, we're going to, you know, he here's our blog strategy. We're going to be, you know, publishing this often. Here's how we're going to repurpose. You know, we're going to kind of, you know, put some paid efforts behind the ones that work best, but like, it's going to take some time. Like you'll start to see seedlings of this in a little while in you know, X months or whatever. But we can't expect that when this turns on, you know, in two days, we'll, we'll see something from it, right? When I was at Fastly, we had a blog post that was like, 
four years old that was our still our top driver of organic traffic. Mm -hmm. And it was simply because it was like really well written. It was a problem that developers desperately needed help with. Mm -hmm. And it solved it for them. And it wasn't our top performing blog post two days after it posted, right? Yeah. It, it took some time. People shared it. Oh, hey, here's this thing I found. I'm going to put it in my some random third-party developer newsletter, right? Yeah. Like, it gets these <laughs> yeah. backlinks. It gets more power. Google likes it more, right? So that takes time. And I think that just comes down to like, you also have to have the patience to create really good content. Yeah. And then you have to have the patience to let it perform. Yeah. And let people find it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I never think about it from that perspective. The only time I do is anytime I've had to work with SEOs, I always feel for them because I'm like that. I am just like, to me, that's like the hardest job. And and so many of my industry friends are SEOs. I just look at them. I'm like, I don't know how you do this. (laughs) At least with paid, there's at least some feedback. Like there's, and they always joke because they're like, well, I couldn't do your job because there's so much more pressure for it. Like for them, I think they kind of feel like there's enough education out there now that companies understand it takes time. And they're like, you don't have that luxury. Like they're giving you yeah. money. And like, cause they've sat in meetings and they're like, I couldn't do what you do. Yeah. And I was like, what? Well, cause to me, it's just, it's kind of normal, you know? And, and it's just interesting to hear their perspective. Cause they're like, we know when we do something, it's probably not going to produce anything for six months. He's like, yeah. they give you $1 and the next day they're like, where's my spreadsheet that shows yeah. me what it did. Exactly. I was like an SEO to like, they're building the Sagrada Familia, right? Like yeah. all the people who started building it are dead. <laughs> their, their ancestors are now continuing it. They'll be dead before it's finished. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. You got to win. Wait, you got to wait. I know. Well, so those are our four things. I'll go over them one more time. Not having the necessary tracking in place mm-hmm. on your goals, discomfort committing to a target audience, shiny object syndrome, and patience. Mm-hmm. I loved you had a thought earlier when we were kind of talking about this episode. Tell me a little bit about building this stuff into your workflow. Yeah. So I try and get a sense when I work with companies of the specifics of things like, how are you tracking now? What is it you're looking to improve? What do you want your marketing to do for you? But some of these things are very personality and company culture driven. So one of the things I've learned throughout my career, having worked at various different cultures, is I really try and figure out what that company culture is like to see if any of these other things are issues. And a lot of times it's they don't necessarily come out and say so. You kind of will pick up on it based on the way the team talks about executive involvement or what they've tried and how they determined it didn't work. So it's like you kind of need to look for those little red flags that signal to you that these things are happening because no one's going to come out and be like, well, I mean, some places will, but a lot of places won't just be like, oh, you know, our CMO has shiny object syndrome. Most of them won't yeah. say that. They'll be yeah. like, we've tried 8,000 things in 30 days. You know, yeah. so <laughs> you got to kind of Exactly. You got to look at the data that shows you that these things are happening. And usually what I will try and do is then figure out, okay, if this is a project-based plan or something where there's timelines, you got to build a lot more time into it. You can't think about it just in terms of how long will it take me to create this plan and have it executed. You also have to have a whole section of like, how long will it take me to educate them on why they have to do it this way. Yeah. Because that so part, will ta- it will take the longest. I guarantee it. And you're going to have to reiterate it all throughout the process. And yeah. you're going to have to reiterate it after it launches. Yep. So it's not that there's necessarily like a line item <laughs> in your scope of work for it, but you need to build in hours to your framework and your time deliverables to account for trying to tackle those things and change the mindset if you feel that that's feasible. 
it's definitely something you had because that's I feel like so much scope creep that I've dealt with in my career. It's never about the work itself. It's usually about the education piece. Yeah. Or, or getting the buy-in or getting people on board. That's usually the part that I feel like is what ends up eating up the hours. Yeah, for sure. And listen, this isn't always a bad thing either. Like mm-hmm. obviously they've hired marketing. They're You're there, right? Yep. And so they believe in it. They know they need it. Sometimes it's just a new thing to them. They came yep. from a different part of the business. They weren't a marketer themselves. And so mm-hmm. they just need that education, like yeah. you say. To like oh yeah, 100%. There. And once you've done that a number of times, then it's like, then that you know, you've earned that trust. You've kind of, mm-hmm. you know, built that into the process and you can move forward a lot more smoothly. And listen, if you are doing this num- a number of times and like, you know, enough time goes by and you have not been able to change hearts and minds. It is a struggle every time you're coming up with mm-hmm. a new strategy, a new plan, a new campaign. Like that's your cue to move on. Yep. Right. Yep. Because none of them the- will work. Yeah. And it'll look yeah. like you failed. Exactly. I mean, yeah. in these instances, that's why we said it's like when you have these four things, if if these, if any or all of these are happening and they're not fixed, the odds that your strategy is going to take off and do what it should do is are, it's very low. I mean, and it's yeah. going to wind up reflecting on you because you can't overcome all that. You know, it's like you're not going to come up with a strategy that's going to be able to overcome all that. Right. I love that you called it sabotage at the at the top of the episode. Cause like yeah. that's exactly what it is. And you know, sometimes you can overcome it and sometimes you can't. And again, that's that's your cue to go find a place where you can yeah. either overcome it or they don't have any of these red or you know fewer of these red flags. There's no perfect company, right? Right. So that you can go and you can succeed. Mm-hmm. Not Absolutely. such an uphill struggle every time. Because y'all are great marketers. That's right. <laughs> You're listening to this podcast. Well, I guess that's it for this week. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for the suggestion because this was a great topic. Yes. We love, love when you guys suggest stuff, honestly. It's so helpful. And it's really fun to see people kind of pile on in the comments of what yeah. they could relate to or, oh my gosh, yes, I was thinking about this the other day. So definitely keep the suggestions coming. It really helps us out to kind of know what to talk about. And there's know so many times. Hear. Well, and it's also funny. There are times people put that we're like, gosh, that really is a good idea. I never yeah. would have thought of that. So exactly. it's like, we're, we're so close to it too, that sometimes it's just the external advice is, is super helpful. So we really appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys listening. Have a great week. And that's marketing, baby. That's marketing, baby. Bye. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of That's Marketing, Baby. Like what you heard? Please give us some love with a review. And don't forget to hop into our community list at thatsmarketingbaby.com to get more helpful tips, resources, and thoughts from us. See you next week.